first time here or on Zoom, and later in the service we'll give you um, opportunity to say um, your name and where you're from so we can um, get to know you better. Um, we, as you probably know, we mostly work with guest um, preachers at the moment, but it's, uh, it's my great joy to um, introduce you to Nathan Wannemacher. He is our very own youth intern and he will be preaching today. So come up, Nathan. <laughs> Nathan, sorry. <laughs> thanks, Birgit. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to be here and thanks everyone for coming out and being here to listen to me. This is the first time I'm preaching for a full church, so I'm excited. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> The salutation today is Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. You could read with me. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Join me in the call to worship. What does the Lord require of us? To do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. What does God command of us? To love God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all our strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. God does not call us to ease or to comfort, but to presence and abundance and grace in our struggle. Let us worship the God who believes in us and trusts in us and abides with us. Let us worship the God who will ask much of us, but will be beside us every step of the way. Please remain standing and sing the hymn printed in your bulletin Forgive our sins as we forgive.
like to lead you into the confession of sins with the words from 1 John 1, verses 8 and 9. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all our unrighteousness. Let us come before our forgiving God and for confess our sins in silence. We pray together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thoughts, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Hear the assurance of pardon. Hear the good news. Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. Christ prays for us. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old life has gone, the new life has begun. Believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. So please stand and sing the Gloria part three if you're able. it's time for the children's message. So any children out there, if you guys want to come up here and you can sit with me. Hey, what's your name? Catherine, cool. I've met you before. You've been up here before. Hey, what's your name? Gia. Gia. We've met before, too. Cool, I'm so glad you guys are here. It's so fun. Today, we're going to be talking about God's love for us and how God loves every single person in the entire world, okay? So first, to start us off, I have a question for you both. What's something that you're really thankful for? Something you're thankful for? Yeah? Yeah, that you can live here for one more year? That's awesome. Yeah, it's a really good thing to be thankful for. 
Do you have anything? Your family. Yeah, great. I'm really thankful for my family, too. Thanks for sharing, guys. So these, these things you said that you're thankful for, these are both gifts that God gave us, right? God loves us. And God loves every person in the world. And to show he loves us, one of those ways is that he gives us really good gifts. So he gives us family. He lets us live in good places, like here in Switzerland. And there's countless different gifts that God gives all of us. Something I'm really thankful for is taste, tasting things. So I've always loved tasting new and different flavors and cooking and things like that. But last year, about a year ago, I got coronavirus, and thank God it wasn't very bad. But I lost my taste. For about a whole month, I couldn't taste anything. And then for a few months after, everything tasted very strange. Like when I tasted something sweet, it kind of tasted sour or kind of like a battery. It was really weird. And so it was during that time that I realized, wow, taste is an amazing gift from God. It was hard to eat. I'd eat pasta or ice cream or these delicious things, and there was no flavor. And so it made me realize something as small as taste is a big gift from God that he gives to us because he loves us. I remember one day I was so desperate to taste something, I got a big thing of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Have you guys had that before? Yeah, and I got the chocolate chip cookie dough flavor. And I was like, all right, I'm going to taste something. And so I stuck my spoon in, I ate a big mouthful, there was nothing. Stuck another spoon in, ate another big mouthful. I kept trying to taste the cookie dough, but I couldn't taste anything. And it, yeah, it was a big, a big bummer. But it made me realize that was a great gift from God. And it made me realize God gave that gift to everyone in the whole world, right? People who know God and love God, he gives them the taste or the, the gift of taste. And people who don't know God or people who even hate God, he also gives them that gift of taste. And the things you guys said, um, being able to live in a nice place or family, God gives his enemies that gift, and he also gives his friends that gift. He gives people who love him that. He also gives friendship to everyone, and he gives a nice, warm, sunny day in the summer to everyone, and he gives a nice bird song to everyone. And so God loves his friends, but he also loves his enemies, and he gives them good gifts. He's really kind and gracious to them as well. And so in the Bible, Jesus also asks us to love our enemies, you guys and me. Jesus also asks us to love our enemies. And so maybe there's someone at school who's kind of hard to get along with, or maybe if you're not in school yet, maybe one of your neighbors or your friends, sometimes you get annoyed at them a bit, or it's kind of stressful to be around them. Maybe your brother or your sister right now, you're kind of butting heads right now and you're in a rough patch. I want to encourage you guys, love them. Be extra kind to them. Be extra friendly to them, right? God gives his enemies gifts even. He's so kind and gracious to them. And so maybe if someone is hard to get along with, you could even give them a gift and surprise them. It might show them a little piece of who God is, who God is himself. Um, so I want to encourage you guys in that. Just try and be extra kind, extra loving this week to, to someone who it's kind of hard to get along with. Can you guys pray with me? Okay. Dear God, thank you that you are so loving and kind and gracious to us, even when we're not those things, God. Thank you for all the beautiful and amazing gifts you've given us and for blessing us with these things and Help us to be thankful for these things and to think about these things today and this week. And help us to love those who are hard to love this week, God. And 
Help us to be extra conscious of that, God. In your name, Jesus, amen. Thanks, guys. You can go take your seats again. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Today's first scripture reading comes from Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son? How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
is Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, rakah, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. This is the word of the Lord. My name is Nathan Wanamaker, as Birgit said before, and I'm the youth intern here at IPC. I want to get to know all of you. I've met a lot of you, but there's still a lot of you I've not met before. So please, after the service, if you don't know me, if you've never met me, come up and say hi. I would love that. I'll also be in the church offices Tuesday and Thursday from 9 to 5, and Wednesdays from 2 to 9 p.m. And so if you ever want to stop by to talk about anything or to grab lunch or for any, re any reason, really, please feel free to stop by. I would love to talk to you and be there with you. So first off, before we delve deeper into the passage, I just need to say something. It's kind of a strange way to start off a sermon, but it seems clear from the text that this is what it's saying. Especially reading this during a church service, there's some clear implications. Jesus says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Now, leaving a gift at the altar for the ancient Jews was a form of worship and a symbol of forgiveness. Um, it was a ceremony done at the temple. And even though it's very different, the closest equivalent to that for us Christians today I can think of is a church service, like the one we're in right this second. And so I encourage you, if the Holy Spirit convicts you and you feel that you need to reconcile with someone right now or halfway through the sermon or at the end, please feel free to get up, walk out the door, and go to that person's house or call them or do whatever you need to do. And again, that's a weird way to start off a sermon, but that's what the text is saying. God values reconciliation so much that sometimes it means leaving what you're doing and going and doing it first. And if you really want to listen to the rest of the sermon, you can listen to it online. I won't be offended. Don't worry. Um, all that being said, let's get started with the passage. This takes place during Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where he's speaking to a group of mainly Jewish people. Right before this passage, Jesus states that he is not here to abolish the law, but that he's here to fulfill it. And so he then goes on to correctly interpret the law for us in several statements. And he uses the phrase, you have heard, each time. So as we read before, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. In the next paragraph, Jesus correctly interprets adultery for us. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But 
I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The next you have heard passage is about divorce, then oaths, then the concept of an eye for an eye, and the final one is about loving your neighbor as well as your enemy. And so in our passage here, Jesus is interpreting and teaching what is truly meant by the law, which was given to the Jews hundreds and hundreds of years before. Jesus is teaching that the law applies to your heart and to your mind, not just to your actions. And at that time, many in the Jewish religious leadership taught that, yeah, a legalistic following of the law, that your relationship with God was about strict rules that you must obey in order to have a good life, basically. And so to many Jesus was preaching to, this, this would have been a shock. They would have been, their minds would have been blown that Jesus was teaching this, that the law is about your heart. And just a side note on this, we as Christians are also not immune to this at all. Um, much of the church today and for all of our 2,000 year history has been completely enveloped in legalism and, and believing in that. So it's always important for us to be reminded of the true meaning of the law and that it applies to our minds and to our hearts. And now I'm gonna split the passage today into two parts. The first will be that of Jesus' warning about anger and sin in our lives. And the second, the second will be an encouragement to reconciliation that Jesus gives us. Anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Here Jesus, as we said before, speaks to the heart issue. Murder never really occurs without anger first bubbling up. As is pretty clear from human history, anger when wielded by humans, by us, is always destructive. Anger under the surface, in our hearts and our minds, will eventually, if it's not dealt with correctly, reveal itself in a physical way, in the physical world. And so this passage states to us a warning. Anger destroys our own lives. Jesus says, anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. That's a terrifying statement. I honestly don't, I can't think of any statements in scripture or anywhere that are as terrifying as that. But anger not only ruins and harms our own lives, it, it ruins our friendships, our marriages, our communities, and our churches as well. As Christians, we cannot be so arrogant and think that our anger or other sins will not ruin our friendships, our relationships, our community, or our church. And I think it's sometimes easy for us to think that just because we're Christians, bad things can't really happen to us. We sometimes think we're immune to certain sins and we get comfortable and we don't, we don't think about it anymore. But when we look at reality, we clearly are not. Anger makes Christians bitter and angry people. Churches split and collapse every single day in the world. In Chicago, where I was living a little over a year ago before moving here, in the two years I lived there, the two biggest and most influential churches in the city, both of their pastors were fired for anger and abuse and sexual abuse and a countless number of things. And it left thousands of Christians confused at how this could happen to a church. How could this happen in a Christian church that loves God? Looking at divorce, and not to pick on divorce, it's just that we have statistics about it. But Christians have the exact same rate of divorce as non-Christians. And in some places, they even have a higher rate of divorce than non-Christians. And divorces happen for countless different reasons. But one of the reasons is always at least one person has anger and sin in their life. In scripture, in Genesis, 
the very first naturally born human, Cain, who knows God, God speaks to him, he has a relationship with God, and yet he murders his brother Abel because of jealousy and anger. In this story of the first naturally born human becoming a murderer really drives home that theme of human brokenness. God could have included anything he wanted to in Genesis, but he chose to put this story of Cain in Genesis to teach us something and to show us something about who we are as human beings. King David becomes an adulterer and a murderer. Solomon walks away from God, distracted by greed and lust and power. If we read Paul's letters, the churches 2,000 years ago, the first churches, were dealing with every possible kind of sin. And all this to say, we're vulnerable as Christians to the same sins, the same difficulties as everyone else in the world, and it's important that we remember that. When I was in university, I was part of a campus ministry, and one of the years I was there, some of the staff members were forced to resign because of sin that had come up um, and had come to light. And undealt with anger was a big part of that. A few months later, another one of the staff members gave a talk. And what he said has always stuck with me. He said, never say to yourself, that could never happen to me. Never say to yourself, that could never happen to me. And I've held on to that statement ever since I heard it. The moment we tell ourselves, that could never happen to me, or to my family, or to my community, or to my church, that's the moment we become vulnerable to that very thing. That's the moment we forget that we're sinners. It's the moment we forget that we're saved by Jesus Christ alone. And that's the moment we forget that everything good in our lives is grace from God. We cannot be so prideful as to think we're immune to certain sins, not even for a moment. As Christians, we're not immune to the destruction of anger, and we must remember that. We must be aware of that. So I want to ask you all, and please ask yourselves this as well, are you letting anger or another sin control you? Do you have the mindset of, that could never happen to me? For those of you who are Christians, I urge you to give this to God and to, to give him control over these things. And for those of you listening who might not be Christians or who maybe are on the edge or are unsure about things, I urge you to ask yourselves, do I truly want anger or something destructive controlling my life? Because I assure you, God is here waiting for you, loving you, desiring for you to give him your life. And what God brings us is not anger, but his fruits. He brings us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, that all was a bit depressing, but don't worry, we're moving on to Jesus' next paragraph, which is an encouragement to reconciliation. So Jesus follows these statements about anger with a really practical command for us. Therefore, referencing being angry at your brother or your sister, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Now firstly, I wanna define reconciliation as well as the phrase brothers and sisters. Here, reconciliation means restoring the relationship. So whether it's a person to another person, a person to God, 
It's restoring that relationship and restoring that love, that connection between you both. And the phrase brothers and sisters here is referring to disciples. So women and men who are Christians, basically. Now, I love this imagery that Jesus gives us right here in this passage. It reminds me of what a real, living, breathing faith in Jesus Christ looks like. Following Jesus is not just knowing ideas. It's really practical. It's literally getting up, finding your brother or your sister, and apologizing to them. Jesus doesn't say, offer your gift at the altar and then brood in your anger. He doesn't say, feel bad for yourself. He doesn't say, think about how you're right and how your sister or your brother is wrong. He doesn't say, go gossip about this person to someone else. No. He basically says, humble yourself, go to the person, and try to reconcile. And I want to be the first to say that this is extremely difficult. My initial reaction is to always avoid confrontation, even when I know there's something wrong. And my poor wife, who I've known since I was like a child, knows this better than anyone else. And God has slowly grown me in this, but it's a slow process. And it's 100% something I need to learn and grow in and be stretched in. And I think for a lot of us, it'll be our entire lives, something that we're growing in and that we're learning more of. And so saying go reconcile is easy, but in reality, it's a lot more difficult for us. And this can be for a lot of different reasons. Firstly, we might be scared that the other person won't forgive us. Going to reconcile and then being rejected is extremely painful. Maybe we don't want to hurt the other person. Maybe they have no idea that we're mad at them, and so we don't want to make it something bigger than it is. Maybe you're like me, and you just hate confrontation with others. A lot of the time, we don't want to reconcile because of our pride. And we think, I'm right, and they're wrong, and they actually need to come to me and apologize. And I guarantee, if you're thinking that, the other person is also thinking that and waiting for you to come to them. And so we get stuck in a weird stalemate. So two friends or a husband and a wife or two church members who are just sitting there, judging each other, waiting for the other person to come to them. But thankfully, thank God, the Christian life and the life that Jesus calls us to right here is very uncomfortable. That's the reality of it. And this isn't just for special Christians. This isn't just for extra spiritual people. This is talking about the normal Christian life. It's talking about me and you and all of us in here. God calls you and me as a Christian, whether we're in the wrong or not, to go to the other person and to try to reconcile with them. If you know they're angry with you, you're commanded right here to go to them and to restore the relationship. And clearly based on that, if, if you yourself are angry with someone, you are called to go to them and to reconcile with them. We're not called to wait for the other person to come to us. We're called to take the initiative. And God calls us to this radical reconciliation, a radical love that this is not of the world, right? This comes from God. This is not seen anywhere else. And a short caveat on this, obviously this must always be mixed with wisdom. If someone rejects you or if they tell you they don't want to talk to you, obviously you must give them space. But I think what Jesus is saying here is that you must try. You must at least show them and tell them that you want to reconcile. And if you are rejected, you've done what you can. And now you can just pray for them and, and wait for them to, to be ready to talk to you again. Now, our God himself 
He doesn't leave us dry on this. He himself is the clearest possible picture of this type of reconciliation for us in Jesus. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The offense we cause God is much, much, much greater than the offense we cause one another. Before we knew God, when we were hostile to him, or when we hated him, or ignored him, or didn't believe that he existed, he first came to us for reconciliation. He didn't wait. Jesus came, became a man, lived a perfect life, and died and rose again, taking upon himself our sins and offering reconciliation to us. Jesus' death and resurrection is an offer for us to have a relationship with him, to restore that connection, that love that we can have with him. And so God, the only one who's worthy to judge us, the only one who's actually always right, the only one who actually doesn't need to humble himself, is the one who chose to humble himself, to be a servant, and to come to us first in reconciliation. That's really wild, and I want that to sink into our minds and into our hearts here at IPC today. Our God is the ultimate reconciler, and it's who he is. It's part of his character. Our God is amazing. As Christians, one of our goals is to be like Jesus in every way that we can. We're followers of him, and thus this means to imitate him in reconciling with others. What God is asking of us in reconciliation is not something he's never done. He's already done it, he's doing it right now, and he's going to continue to do it in the future. So reconciliation brings healing in our own lives, our relationship with God, our families, our friends, our churches. And this specific passage we just focused on was about other Christians. But Jesus quickly escalates this in typical Jesus fashion a few paragraphs later in the passage. Matthew 5, verses 43 through 45, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. And again, Jesus' death on the cross was this. Before knowing him, we were hostile to him. God loved us. We did not love him, and yet he came to us and reconciled with us. And that's why the passage says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Just like a child imitates his or her parents, so do we as children of God try to imitate Jesus. When we imitate God, when we love our enemies and pray for them, when we reconcile with our enemies, we're imitating what God has done. Loving our enemies is a part of being a child of God. In a sense, you could say it's a symptom. Loving your enemies and trying to reconcile is a symptom that you're a child of God. Now, there's countless Christians in history who've done amazing acts of love and reconciliation. As a church, we have an, an awesome history full of heroes, um, yeah, who've done this. One of these people is St. Francis of Assisi. He lived about a thousand years ago, so way before the Reformation. And Francis was a really quirky guy. The weirdest thing about him was that he would preach to birds and animals and to plants as well because of a, a passage in Psalms. He just took that to heart. But his rule of life was that he, if he saw anyone 
more impoverished than he was, that he would give them all of his possessions. And he generally only owned a cloak that he would wear. And he gave away his cloak so often that his order, which he founded, started getting angry at him because they were basically purchasing a new cloak for him every single day, because he was constantly giving his cloak away to random people. Anyways, the story goes that one day, Francis was walking along the road, and he had some food with him, and a thief came upon him, grabbed his food, and ran off. And Francis, like anyone else, um, chased after the thief. He ran after him, and he caught up to the thief, and he tackled him. And then he yelled at him, saying, wait, but you forgot my cloak. And he took off his cloak, and he gave it to the thief. I love that story. It's such a cool representation of love for one's enemy and a weird attempt at reconciliation, but an attempt at reconciliation nonetheless. Later in his life, Francis went to the front lines of a crusade where Christians were attacking a Muslim stronghold in Egypt. And he didn't go to fight, but to preach and to love the Muslims there. He was given a hearing by the Muslim sultan and was able to tell the sultan and his family and his court about who Jesus was for several days. Many Christians at the time saw the Muslims as people to be hated and people to be fought. But Francis saw them as God saw them, saw them as people to be loved and people to be reconciled to. And he strove for that in his life. He really took Jesus' words to heart and took them seriously. The world will know who we are as Christians by the way we treat others. If we try to reconcile with and love others, the world will see our God more clearly for who he is. If we refuse to reconcile, if we hold on to that anger, it will only cloud others' view of God. Now, I want to leave you with one last story. A few years ago, I saw some videos of Orthodox, so these priests from the Orthodox Church, um, they were peacekeepers in war zones. And so they would go to war zones and would just help reconcile and create peace between the two warring sides. They would help the wounded and they'll provide communication lines between the two sides to help create peace and ceasefires and things like that. Whatever they could do to stop the fighting or to help them start communicating, they would do. Now these were literal war zones. You would see these priests walking around in their big fancy garb, they'd have a cross, and they'd be walking through bombed out buildings, you'd hear bombs and gunfire and yelling and screaming, and they'd be walking through these bombed out buildings uh, between the two opposing forces. And it's almost comical, actually, thinking about it, and thinking about it now. Just these older men with big gray beards, slowly walking, calmly walking, while there's explosions, gunfire, rubble everywhere. But I'm telling you this because I think it's a really beautiful picture of what we should be doing as Christians. These priests, they put their lives on the line every single day to bring reconciliation. A lot of them don't make it out of it. A lot of them die and are killed trying to create peace between these random peoples that they don't even, they don't have anything to do with, they don't even know. And so if I can be cheesy for a moment, um, I believe we should be doing the same thing with our brothers and sisters and with our enemies. We should be walking through these war zones. We should be walking through these bombed out buildings and these explosions and this gunfire and this yelling. We should be walking through it to our brothers and sisters to, to forgive each other and to bring reconciliation with each other. We should be walking through difficult circumstances and pain and rejection to our enemies to, to reconcile with them and to, to work with them and to grow with them. We should be even be helping others, random people, reconcile with one another. 
And we'll have to put ourselves on the line for this. It will be painful, hard, embarrassing, and I guarantee you, you will be rejected for doing this. But we must be striving for peace as God's children. And for God's love to be shown to everyone around us through reconciliation, we must be striving for this. God first came to us to reconcile with us. And so let's, as a church, take that first step in reconciliation with others. Let's truly act as God's children and be a reconciling, peacemaking church. Please pray with me. Almighty God, thank you for reconciling us to yourself. Thank you for loving us even when we did not love you. Please give us the strength that we need to love our sisters and brothers. And we need your help in this, God. We need you. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Please stand, if you're able, for the hymn.
friends, we are a privileged people. We live in freedom, in peace, we have social security, safety and a wealth that is unimaginable for many people in the world. It is our obligation though to be stewards of God's kingdom. So let us invest our money and our talents and our time where it is most needed around the world, as well as here in Zurich and at our own church of IPC. Please pray with me. Dear Lord, we want to give back to you a little of what you gave to us. Give us generous hearts and discernment how to help in the best way to further your kingdom and your work here on earth. Amen. So please um, consider taking this time of the authority, uh, authority to make a contribution through um, PayPal, Twint, uh, bank transfer, or the old-fashioned way um, at the exit. Thank you.
please join me in the prayer of the people. The prayer um, today is based on Psalm 103, part of which we already read for the meditation. So would you please pray with me? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Dear Lord, we stand before you in awe. We consider your greatness. We consider your creation, how beautiful and perfect you made everything. You are almighty and everything is under your reign. The whole universe is under your rules as well as our own lives. Lord, we praise you and adore you and we bow before your majesty. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all our iniquity, who heals all our diseases, who redeems our life from the pit, who crowns us with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies us with good. Dear Lord, we stand before you with thanksgiving for the wealth and beauty of Switzerland, for social and political stability, for peace and quiet in a world that is in turmoil, for our health system, for the possibility to get vaccinated against COVID, for our help in hard times, for healing and comfort, for our own church IPC, our family in Christ, for friendship and relationships within and outside the church, for your mercy and forgiveness when we lose our ways, for the sacrifice of your own son, Jesus Christ, so we can be saved. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Lord, we ask you for help from the bottom of our hearts, for our brothers and sisters who live in fear of their lives, for all the desperate and abandoned people in Afghanistan. It is incom incomprehensible for most of us what they suffer. For everybody who is affected by all the other wars, by displacement, by natural disasters, by the pandemic. For our own adopted people, the Shan and the awful situation in Myanmar. Give us the same love and mercy that you show towards us. For migrants, refugees and people in bad situations in our own neighborhoods as well as far away. We pray for our missionaries and the organizations we support to be able to help and under all circumstances be able to show your love. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows your, our frame. He remembers that we are dust. For a man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it's gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. Dear Lord, we stand before you with prayers for sickness and suffering in our own congregation. Please be with those who suffer from death and illness in the family or have health problems themselves. 
We pray for Anne Sindel, our sister who lost her husband, Heinz. Be her comfort and her strength. Be with everyone who needs jobs, apprenticeship, or access to school and university. Help those who are lonely, depressed, or anxious and give them courage to trust in you and your promises. Help our deacons, our staff, the council, the volunteers, all of us to see the need and have an open heart, open arms, and an open house for those in need. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying his voice of the world. Please bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Lord, we pray to you in the word that Jesus, your son, has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed by thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So now is the time to welcome our guests. So if anybody um, is here for the first time or back um, after a long time, <laughs> please be brave and stand up and tell us your name and where are you from. Anybody? Ah, wait, wait, um, I wait. Yeah, and Asha will come to you with a microphone and some information. Okay. Uh, I am Helena and I'm from Estonia very small country, and I'm here for the first time. Oh, yeah. Welcome, Esther. Make sure you stay um, after church for coffee so we can greet you. <laughs> okay. Hello, my name is Nicolim, and I'm from Denmark. <laughs> and my name is Amanda, and I'm also from Denmark. Yeah. Welcome. You too from Denmark. So, and then we have um, somebody who's here. It's back here as a visitor. You don't want to? Well. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. He, he wants to be anonymous. So, um, we leave it at that. Okay. So, um, I have a few announcements. Um, please also read all the announcements in the bulletin or go to the website um, calendar. We will have um, in-person evening worship uh, tonight at 6 o'clock across the street in the Methodist Hall. Um, Nathan will also be preaching um, the same message, um, but the service is more contemporary, so the music is different. Um, and it will also have a Zoom stream. Um, the council is in progress to finding um, an interim pastor, and we also have a few good um, options, but as you can imagine, those things take time as the candidates also have to consider what they have to change and if they want to um, serve here at IPC, but we start um, interviewing on um, this Monday. Um, 
And we also ask, really ask you to help us with that process with your prayers. Um, we will have James Boltema. He, he is an old um, friend from Turkey as a guest, guest preacher all through September. And we are looking um, forward to uh, greet him here at IPC. Um, Nathan already told you about the office hours, so it's just a reminder. <laughs> if you have a, a concern, you want to talk to somebody, um, go see him. And um, here um, I have a not so good um, but sensible news, I think, about uh, the church retreat that was announced in the newsletter um, last week. Um, and um, before um, finalizing the contract, I sought um, advice from one of uh, one from a very high-ranking um, specialist of infectious diseases because we were unsure um, if we should do it or not. And he said, um, yes, we can plan it, but we have to be ready to um, then only open it to people who are vaccinated or who are recovered. And we didn't want to do that. We, if we want to have a search retreat, we want, really want to have it for all of us. So we decided um, to not have it in November and try again in spring. So it's, uh, yeah, well. <laughs> It's sad, but I think it's a sensible decision. Otherwise, it would also be a, a, quite a huge amount of money that we would risk um, for nothing, and we could probably find something better to do with that. Um, and then, um, back to good news. <laughs> um, it's, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to um, announce that we will have coffee hour today um, outside the church. Um, thank you, Vicky and team, for, um, for doing that for us. Um, we ask you to um, keep the mask on when you go out, stand in line, get your coffee and your snack, and then take the mask off um, when you stand together um, to chat. Um, I think... Oh, no, that's, that's not all. The prayer team, um, where um, Nathan will be available at the, um, at the piano after the church if you have a concern... Um, or um, praise, and you want to pray, um, feel free to come to the front after the service. So that's it. Um, so now please, um, if you are able, stand for the closing hymn. <laughs>
Please remain standing if you're able for the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Please sit and reflect for the postlude.